should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull****. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is a uh, it is a great day for a good show. <laughs> I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Fong, our producer, is in studio. Hello, Michelle. Your time here in studio is winding down, and I am sad. Oh. Why? Why, Fong? Why? Did that sound? Did I sound sad? Sad enough? Yeah. I mean, it is. It, it's it's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, at the same time, I'm happy for you. I'm happy when young people grow and actually find a job instead of want to hang out with me in a radio studio. <laughs> Um, trying to figure out their lives well yeah well i mean it this 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 is my passion i get it and uh you were you were kind enough to be on this road in this journey with me but but it is my passion (laughs) (laughs) uh you have a different direction and that's okay um we have a good show today, and uh, I'm very excited for it. I think that there have been a lot of discussions about other things in the media, such as Donald Trump, which I'm pretty tired of of, of hearing. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, his what what isn't actually 20 seconds of fame. It's more like it's been months and months of fame that we hadn't antis- anticipated for. Mm-hmm. I hope that's coming to a near end. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, And uh, I don't know. And this new, you know, I think this new thing between Bernie and Hillary as the uh, election is heating up, um, I I can't help but feel torn as a progressive. And it feels like the ugly side of campaigning is coming out. And it's really Uh, bringing out the ugly in both candidates whom I feel mm -hmm. are strong candidates. Ooh. So do you know where you stand yet? Um, kind of. Look, I'll have to say this. I think Bernie's, uh, his supporters are ruining, ruining it for, for, for him in terms of how I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm totally not digging the Bernie bro thing. I'm not digging the Bernie trolls online and completely being jerks, you Mm. know, just because we have, uh, deferring opinions on progressive views. Um, that's the ugly side. I don't like it. (laughs) I see, I see. Uh, but speaking of politics, um, I think that that has also turned us kind of sleepy within the LGBTQ community. Um, we, have, we haven't really been talking about, you know, this very silent but very deadly uh, uh, action that, uh, that anti-gay legislators are proposing, um, you know, in various states. And that comes on the heels of the big discussion regarding religious freedom. So let's get our program started. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility. Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is Bryn Tannehill, who has an article out featured on The Advocate um, and, and in talking about what I was talking about, the, the sleepiness. Um, but it's a great user's guide to this year's transphobic legislation. Bryn, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, thank you very much for having me on for the first time. Yeah, well, I'd say it's it's the first, but definitely not the last. Uh, we would love to have you on, you know, as, as much as you possibly can. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I have, a, I, I have a job that's supportive enough to provide me with a door. Oh, so. awesome. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this. You know, I, I totally feel like we're not talking enough about uh, these legislators across the country who are gearing up to, to fight pretty ugly when it comes to limiting LGBTQ people and our rights. Uh, for today, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on your article um, in which seems to uh, focus on anti-transgender um, rights. So. Let's let's talk about transgender students in education and sports. Uh, what states are doing what and proposing what? 
So last time we checked, and this was about a week and a half ago, there were nine states that had bills filed. Indiana, Illinois, Minnesota, Missouri, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Um, and these states have basically uh, put um, various types of legislation that all kind of revolve around two themes, that you don't let transgender students use bathrooms or locker rooms in accordance with their gender identities, and you don't let them compete on sports teams. Um, in accordance with their gender identity either. And we've gone down this road before. I mean, here in California, for example, I'm very proud to say that California had successfully passed a bill protecting transgender students uh, in at, as far as when it comes to using the facilities that they identify with. Um, but we, we know that uh, once these bills are introduced, these groups are really, really ugly in the fight. I mean, they go for uh, saying some of the most horrific things, right? Absolutely. They try and portray, I mean, even seven-year-old children as sexual predators because they're transgender. And then there's the assumption um, when they have other bills that uh, trans kids are going to be predators or things that are just ridiculous, like someone would pretend to be trans as a high school student. And I don't know about you, but uh, I remember um, when I was in high school that coming out as LGBT was probably one of the most stigmatizing possible things you could do. Mm -hmm. Um, So pretending to be trans doesn't seem particularly likely for someone who doesn't want to spend the rest of their high school career being completely stigmatized and ostracized. So they're making arguments based off fear and not any actual thought. Um, And this is kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the Department of Education um, clarifying Title IX protections to say, yes, this... um, uh, Title IX's protections against sex discrimination apply to transgender students as well. Right, right. Um, but, I mean, the the worst part is it, 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 all of the arguments, the horrific comments and the, the strategies that the anti-trans community uses, I, it's, it's obvious that they... Uh, are ignoring the facts. I mean, you can't say things like your daughter's going in, in into a bathroom with a boy, or they they'll say things like you know in sports, for example, that your daughter will not be able to uh, have a fair chance at at uh, you know at a, at a competition because now boys will be competing with them. Um, I just want to paint that picture for anybody who's tuning in for the first time. And it's really kind of funny, too, that the argument that, oh, my gosh, uh, transgender women are going to ruin everything in sports. And one of the other headlines that came out recently um, was that transgender people are going to be allowed to compete in the Olympics without a surgical requirement. And that got, you know, right-wing uh, commentators and news sites completely up in arms. Um, but what they completely missed was the fact that it wasn't a trans woman who got the rule changed. It was a uh, transgender man who's on the U.S duathlon team mm, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so literally there is a this is operating in an information vacuum here for the american public and for people that they're trying to preach to and for the people who are up in arms about things right um and and sometimes um a lot of times the solution to worrying about uh, privacy issues as has been done in foreign militaries is do you know how they handled um, adding transgender women to foreign militaries? Do you know how they handled the bathroom and shower situation? Mm. And it was really, really high tech. Mm. Yeah, shower tell us. Curtains. What, I'm sorry, say that right. again. It's a brand new high tech, high technology called a shower curtain. <laughs> I've seen those maybe once or twice in my life. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the DOD <laughs> can procure them for less than a million dollars a pop. Right. Right. Um, and that's the thing is that, you know, uh, I, I want to also let the public know. And if you're a resident of any of these states and, and you're you don't have the educational background, I, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, the education system as well as um, it, let's just OK, let's just stick with the, the education system. Uh, in school districts, uh, I, I don't. I wouldn't say that all school dis- districts are equipped for um, transgender education, but it really isn't like uh, what people are saying. That you know, a, a child can just say, um, "This is how I identify." So be it. There are necessary steps. There are uh, parental guidance. I mean, we're we're literally talking about the transgender community. And and Bryn, can you? I mean, it's not even like we're talking about the majority of of you know a big group here we're, we're talking about 
I don't know, the population is far less than than we think. It's it's about three-tenths of one percent, and that's one of the arguments by the right wing is that, well, we shouldn't have to accommodate a small minority, but every American has a right to an education, and a lot of the rules that are being put in place are designed to make it that much more difficult for a particular uh, minority of Americans to receive an education, and that's simply... Uh, unconstitutional and it's against the law to single out a group to make it much more difficult on purpose for them to receive an education. An Mm -hmm. example I'll use is uh, a technique that's been used in the workforce Um, in some schools with uh, transgender students, which is, oh, well, you can use one bathroom and it's the one three blocks away underneath the football stadium and you have to get the janitor to unlock it for you first, but you can't miss any class time. You know, kinds of kinds of tactics like that that are designed to um, get rid of the problem by making the student quit or by making the worker quit. Um, And these are the kinds of things that we're seeing um, as supposed compromises being offered up by schools. And I've got a 13-year-old daughter who's in junior high, and I asked her, Eleanor, if you could only use the bathroom in the nurse's office, wherever that is, could you make it there and back to class? between classes, would you be able to not be, avoid being tardy? And her answer was, no. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah. And would you be held, would you, would you be marked tardy? Yeah. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so it's like, you know, it's like are, a, it's a, and it's an attack. And the, and the, the worst part for me is we're talking about, you know, kids or, or youths. Um, that's not to say that there aren't policies out there in states that are targeting adults as well, right? Let's turn our attention to public accommodations and, and uh, states that want to uh, limit or prohibit transgender adults from using, um, you know, bathrooms, restrooms. So, uh, yeah, that's, it's all part of a very coordinated strategy to make um, living as a transgender person in the United States next to impossible. And this is, just to lay it out, there are a number of organizations that have laid out a very clear plan to essentially morally legislate transgender people out of existence. And that would be the Family Research Council and the Alliance Defending Freedom. And the ultimate goal is for transgender people to essentially have a system of laws that makes it impossible for transgender people to function in society. Uh, being able to get an education, being able to go to the bathroom, being able to get government documents, um, have no protections uh, legally, um, and to make sure that uh, people are free to discriminate against transgender people uh, for whatever their religious reasons are. So with trans, with anti-trans bathroom laws against adults, and this is this is separate. Uh, the language tends to be divided. Um, and we're seeing this in five states right now, uh, Indiana, Massachusetts, Missouri, Virginia, and Washington. Most of these states, the legislation doesn't have a prayer, um, thankfully. Brenda, but, I, oh, okay. go ahead. So hard. Go, go ahead. Finish, please. So the way that the way opponents are framing this is that, oh, we're not against transgender people. We, you know, we feel deep compassion in our hearts for those poor, conflicted, twisted souls who are gender-confused. We just want to make sure that people don't pretend to be transgender and uh, go into bathrooms and do horrible things. Ignoring the fact that, one, that never happens, and two, when they say this, accusing anybody who, you know, people who would pretend to be trans, or somebody who is visibly transgender who uses a bathroom, mm-hmm. now that they've raised in everybody's consciousness that people who are visibly gender nonconforming are a potential threat, this puts the lives of visibly gender non-conforming trans people in a lot of danger because people can't tell or think they can't, don't think they can tell the difference between somebody who is visibly gender non-conforming and somebody pretending to be trans. And I've got air quotes up there for that mm-hmm. because it's not even a real thing. But the real thing about it is that it does put transgender people in danger of vig- vigilante justice. Right, right. We're going to take a quick break right here, Bryn, but when we come back, I'd love to continue this discussion. And uh, sadly, there are more bills that we have to cover. Um, Oh, God, we've only hit the first two categories. Exactly. So stick around. Don't go away. Bryn Tannehill will be right back.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is a, a gift to us. Uh, who's educating us on um, some of the top anti-trans legislation that is being introduced throughout the country, uh, Bryn Tannehill. Bryn, you know, we have only, like you said right before the break, we've only reached two categories and we've touched on public accommodations for transgender adults. And there are some bills that are targeting transgender students in education and sports. Where shall we turn our attention to next? Well, you already alluded to uh, RIFRAs, and this doesn't directly target transgender people, so it's not part of my article, but it is worth mentioning that there are a lot of bills out there. There are 15-plus bills out there that would allow people to refuse uh, service, refuse goods, um, essentially, uh, to transgender people based off of the individual's uh, sincerely held religious beliefs. But some of these bills go even further and are super referas that basically um, outright state that corporations uh, are people, too, for the purposes of uh, religion and uh, are allowed to discriminate against transgender people in an attempt to nullify Title VII protection. So there is that out there, but that's not trans-specific because that also applies to lesbian and gay people, too. So uh, the next one I'm going to bring up... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please continue. So the next one that I wanted to bring up uh, that is trans-specific is South Carolina has a bill that hasn't gone anywhere so far uh, that would prohibit uh, transgender prisoners from receiving medical care related to being transgender. Um, so this would include hormone therapy, lab, surgery, anything related to being transgender. And the reason that they're bringing this up is because a number of courts uh, in recent years have held that withholding medically necessary treatment, including transgender medical care, from prisoners is a violation of the Eighth Amendment, which prohibits uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And that cruel and unusual punishment uh, includes withholding medically necessary care. I'm sorry. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm feeling more and more disgusted as we continue this conversation just because, I mean, who sits there and thinks about these things and cares that deeply? Like, what? And if you're if you're a legislator, you're someone who writes or policy. Like, there are no other issues, no other bills that you can be proposing that positively impacts your community. Ugh. Well, I I've got to you know, like I mentioned, uh, the Family Research Council actually has laid out a six point plan. Um, on how to ensure uh, that transgender people are uh, essentially forced to remain in the closet legally, and one of which is pursuing every avenue available to make sure transition-related medical care is not available to transgender people. 
In light of, of us mentioning that we have other bills um, being proposed, let's go through them quickly. And then I want to I want to talk to you about, sure. I mean, you know, the community's got to react somehow. So w- which other ones are being proposed? So some of them uh, are one. OK, next one. Virginia has proposed a bill that would make it impossible for you to change your birth certificate unless there was an error at the time of birth, which is clerical in nature. And this is essentially just designed to make it uh, so that transgender people can't get valid government ID at the state level. Um, And a lot of times driver's licenses in other states rely on a birth certificate for what gender marker you should have. So this is, again, designed to make it more difficult for transgender people to exist in society. Um, this one's not going anywhere, thankfully, because uh, Governor Terry McCall is a Democrat, and it doesn't. It's kind of one of those fringe bills. Another one that's out there is in Oklahoma, which is kind of like the epicenter of wacko uh, anti-LGBT legislation this year. I think there are what over 26, 27, 28, somewhere around there. Um, and it basically says that if you're transgender, you can't get married unless you disclose your surgical status. Um, <laughs> So the, this is to combat the uh, the problem, well, I say problem with quotes around it, um, of transgender people getting married without disclosing that they're transgender or have had uh, surgery. Um, this ranks right up there with, you know, not, you know, putting booties on your horse on a Tuesday, uh, kind of blue law. Uh, and it mostly just appeals to the, you know, the fear factor that heterosexual people have of accidentally marrying a trans person, which... Um, isn't a particularly real real fear. I ran the numbers, and that the odds of this happening for the entire state of Oklahoma, it might happen once a decade. Um, so not a real problem, but it's it's a bill in search of a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally is Virginia, another one, um, trying to define sex uh, so as to exclude transgender people from legal protections in employment and education. And this is basically um, a response to Title VII and Title IX of U.S. Code, including transgender people under the rubric of sex. I, I, Bryn, I wanted to, I noticed that a few of these bills um, are coming out of a common state, Virginia. Why the, uh-huh. why so many bills coming out of Virginia that are anti-trans specifically? Well, Virginia has some very, very conservative areas. It's also very closely, um, it's easy to tr- transit from uh, Washington, D.C., where the Family Research Council is located, to um, Virginia. There's also the Traditional Values Coalition is very active here, led by, led by Andrea Lafferty, and again, very, very anti-trans. Um, and she's been active for better part of a decade. Uh, or TVC has been active for better part of a decade. Um, so there's, and there's also, uh, it's closer to Liberty University. Um, so you've got a lot of, of the legislation. Um, looks like it was drafted by the ADF or the Liberty Council. Mm-hmm. And it, there are, Virginia does have a history of some very, very anti-LGBT lawmakers who can easily be convinced to file something if somebody hands it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd, I'd spoken to Kate Kendall of the National Center for Lesbian Rights and talking about, uh, you know, strategy playbook by these conservative organizations, which, by the way, they're mentioned in your article, such as Family Research Council, Liberty, Liberty Council and the Alliance Defending Freedom, in which I believe they're all listed as hate groups uh, by the so- Southern Poverty Law Center. I, I mean, they are. what's that? They are. Yes. They are, they are yes. Group. So, so with that being said, I, I mean, what are the chances of these bills um, being successfully passed? So far, um, in the nineteen, or I'm sorry, 2015, we had like 20 something of these bills filed, and none of them made it through. This year, the vast, vast majority of these are dead on arrival, and some of the ones that might have had a chance are dying. There's a few in South Dakota that look like they might get through. And that's the thing, is that if you throw enough stuff at a wall, eventually something is going to stick. Eventually, one of these bills is probably going to pass somewhere and get signed off by a governor somewhere. And mentioning National Center for Lesbian Rights, uh, I mean, even after, well, post-marriage equality, I feel like they're going to be as busy as ever fighting these bills. Um, What do you think? I think uh, 
there's a lot of really, really good legal groups out there that are willing to take on any of these laws that they get through. NCLR would be one of the great examples. They've been absolutely fantastic on uh, impact litigation on trans issues. American Civil Liberties Union, another great organization. Um, Chief Strangio, Josh Block, uh, NCLR has SOF um, and Kate Kendall. Uh, and, uh, Shannon Minter has been associated in the past. Uh, you've also got Lambda Legal. Uh, it's going to be right in the thick of the fight to maintain uh, Title Seven rights for trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it's interesting. I'd I'd read that you uh, have been a campaign analyst um, and uh, have served in, in our military. I mean, you you're up there in terms of uh, intelligence and how our government operates. Uh, at least more so than uh, you know more than I or or some of our listeners here. Um, do they have, I mean, do they have legs? I mean, you know, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think about, um, besides the fear mongering, besides the actual hateful language, uh, I mean, most of these people would be, I, to me, breaking the law or there are some law that, um, that conflicts with, with their campaign. How, how do they, how do they, how can they get away with this? Are you talking about conflicting with the idea of small government and then proceeding to uh, push for legislation that would uh, give people genital and DNA tests before the tests before they can use the uh, use the bathroom? Yeah, and also um, you know the part about religious freedom that you had mentioned earlier, uh, falling on that uh, as a way to limit rights for LGBTQ people in general. It is. Um, there's the religious freedom aspect, but. You were bringing up before the show, you know, before I came on, Donald Trump and him just kind of being the ugly side of things. And to use an example, um, I think a lot of this anti-trans stuff is a socially acceptable way of being horrible and showing that you're not politically correct because you're going to take on this awful, horrible, disgusting, nasty, vile trans people that nobody likes. You know, it's almost kind of like um, years ago, Matt Stone and Trey Parker described Eric Cartman as a crap that's at the bottom of everybody's um, and I look at Donald Trump and I go, wow, this is what would we, we would get if Eric Cartman ran for president. No laugh. Okay, but essentially Donald Trump is a crap that's the bottom of all our souls. And a lot of the times when people are going after trans people in the media or in these laws, it's essentially a chance to express every nasty, vile, horrible impulse that they could direct to other human beings possible and do it in a way that makes believe them still electable because we, there's still a very, very strong stigma against trans people. Right. Um, people right. are much more likely to say they've, they've seen a ghost than a trans person. Right. I, 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 you mentioned no laugh earlier. Um, there sometimes, uh, it's, it seems like, I don't know if you're on a cell phone or something, but you're, you're, you're cutting in and out at some points. Um, and we'll, so I didn't we'll catch. use a landline next time. Okay, no worries. Um, my last question for you is basically, in speaking about presidential um, candidates, so our two progressive candidates, Hillary and Bernie, um, uh, I don't, you know, as far as like trans rights goes, or from a trans perspective, what are your thoughts? I think they're both very, very solid. I can't say that uh, Hillary Clinton, in her capacity as the Secretary of State, Department of State, didn't make it possible. For did make it possible for trans people to get their passport gender markers changed without uh, having surgery. And that has been one of the biggest gifts to the transgender community under the Obama administration. So her credentials for the trans community are very, very solid. Um, as far as the bigger election picture goes, that's, that's a huge discussion that we could spend a half hour on. <laughs> I think that we'll have to have you back then. Um, Bryn, thank you so much for, for being with us on the program and for walking us through uh, your user's guide in the uh, some of those anti-trans legislation that's being introduced. I, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, and it's been my pleasure. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Our conversation will be focused on RBG. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, don't go away. Come right back.
Nicolina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple of months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need to, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people, and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our next guest is, uh, I've been waiting to speak to her <laughs> all weekend long. I'm so thankful for her work, her and uh, her, I guess I should say, co-author, uh, Irene Carmen, and, uh, and that's because um, she also was responsible for putting on probably the coolest Tumblr there is out there. <laughs> so let's welcome Shauna. Uh, I'm going to ruin your last name. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. It's the hard one. It's Knizhnik. Knizhnik, which I thought so. I'm, it's that sounds so cool. But um, but yeah. So let's talk about the, your book, Notorious RBG: The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, thanks for being with us, Shauna. Thanks for having me. Uh, so let's clarify. I mean, you know, the 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 book, the cover itself looks so awesome. Um, but it's uh, it's not your, I would say, typical biography in that way. Um, you know, where it's like over four hundred pages of anecdotes and you know <laughs> things like that. Tell us what's different about this book. Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's not your typical um, sort of dry biography, and I think that that was in the spirit of, um, you know, what the Tumblr tried to achieve, which is sort of this combination of fun and substance. You know, obviously the name Notorious RBG is what really, you know, took off in terms of the Tumblr and, and the phenomenon itself. And I think that that speaks to that, you know, juxtaposition, which is this larger-than-life hip-hop icon you know, Biggie Smalls, who, while having a lot, you know, of differences between, you know, between him and Justice Ginsburg, they are both from Brooklyn. Um, as I like to say, they also both sort of speak truth to power. Um, and I think that that sort of aspect of that shared identity or shared, you know, history of marginalization in some way is something that people really um, are drawn to about Justice Ginsburg's story. But, you know, as far as the, the format, we really were kind of trying to figure out, uh, you know, a, a model that didn't, didn't really exist. Mm -hmm. We were looking at other biographies and thinking, well, that's not, you know, that's more serious than what ours is trying to be. But there isn't really any, uh, you know, looking at fun sort of books aimed at younger readers. It might not be as serious as what we wanted to achieve. So, you know, it really was this delicate balance of keeping the fun and, um, you know, lighthearted aspects of, of the meme, sort of thinking of Justice Ginsburg as this badass figure um, in the popular vernacular, but at the same time doing 
you know, no pun intended, but doing justice to her legacy and her work. And so much of her work, you know, of her legacy is about the, the, the you know, the law, the, which is not necessarily something that translates to popular culture all the right. time. So we really wanted to make sure that we, you know, were accurate when it came to the legal issues that Justice Ginsburg, um, you know, fought for as an advocate and attorney at the ACLU Women's Rights Project and all the issues that she, you know, decided um, and dissented against as a Supreme Court justice, but at the same time celebrating who she was as a person, really trying to bring her to life to, you know, a new generation of, of young people, but also, what, you know, to, uh, for all generations. I think right. we're really inspired by how intergenerational this phenomenon is. Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to update the various ways of how we get information, right? I mean, RBG has mm-hmm. probably been mentioned in numerous articles and uh, intellectual scholarly work, um, but now that people are using things like Facebook and and Instagram or, you know, a Tumblr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. I think I think that's why you, your work is so important. My my question to you and and uh, this is really just to highlight the importance of RBG's work. Um, you know, in, in her becoming this uh, pop icon, uh, becoming this Internet sensation, uh, why why RBG? I mean, you know, we talk mm-hmm. about and, and this is, this question is more about, you know, weighing how important this person is uh, in our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that there is a real lack of um, sort of role models for young women in particular, I think, to look up to that have been doing the work of, you know, not just social justice, but sort of an explicitly feminist agenda that I think is really, uh, you know, it's hard to find these sorts of role models who have been doing the work that Justice Ginsburg has been doing. And not only that have been doing the work, but have actually been able to achieve the status, um, you know, and level of, of prominence and, let's face it, power that she has achieved while, you know, not sacrificing her principles. And I think that young women are really inspired by what she had to go through. Um, and it's really, you know, just a testament to how much I think sometimes we take things for granted. I mean, I, you know, am 27 right now. And, you know, you sort of have this conception of what women from the older, you know, from an older generation went through. But really going through that history, I think, is something that was so important for this project and so important to really celebrating Justice Ginsburg's uh, achievements. Um, But at the same time, you know, she's not someone who you would expect to be this sort of icon. And I think that's another reason why people are so drawn to her is that she is sort of so demure um, and and quiet in person and in her personality but she packs such a punch when it comes to her ideals, to her, you know, her language and her words. And she's able to communicate the importance of, of what she's doing and or of what the court is doing um, to her readers, which, you know, are obviously primarily lawyers. But she realizes that the importance, uh, you know, if it, these cases affect everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the Tumblr and, you know, and the phenomenon sort of sprung out of her being a dissenting voice. And she never wanted to be a dissenting voice. She would much rather the court speak in unanimity. Um, but when it comes to something that, uh, you know, and this, it started with the Voting Rights Act decision, right. which gutted, uh, you know, one of the most important pieces of civil rights legislation in the United States. And she, you know, she was not going to just sit there and let this happen without sounding the alarm, as it were, and, you know, giving a verbal dissent from the bench. So it's sort of showing people, you know, I think there's a duality to it, that Mm -hmm. she's surprisingly um, collegial. She believes in the institution of the Supreme Court, and I think people are often surprised by her friendship, for example, with Justice Scalia. So she's really, you know, she doesn't think that anger is a useful emotion. It's about getting things done. But at the same time, when, you know, people's rights are on the line when things are, as she saw it, I think, you know, the court was moving in a, in a rightward direction, you know, she wasn't going to just sit there. And so I think that people are really drawn to that aspect um, of her personality. 
Right. And there was a poignant part um, in the book very early on in which um, there was a discussion about her fear of leaving the bench because of the number of conservative justices that could be appointed um, or that it could be, you know, majority conservative justices um, in which Mm -hmm. it would reverse a good number of the work that she was involved in and the progress that this country has made. That's that's a real fear, I would think. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think that what she saw is, you know, her life's mission, her life's mission really is, I think she would put it, is to expand, you know, what we the people means. So for her, the Constitution is not just, um, you know, a set of, uh, uh, of amendments and, you know, articles dealing with the system of government, but it also has principles of equality, of, you know, of justice that are embodied in that document. And so for her, it is about expanding, you know, those rights, expanding the ability for more and more people to participate in our democracy. Um, and so for her, especially when it came to the issue of gender equality and reproductive justice, um, both of which are things, you know, that she worked on at the ACLU, um, I think she saw that, you know, women's rights in particular were, were, were on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for her to just let that happen uh, without, you know, letting people know that they should be paying attention to this, um, she wasn't going to do that. And, yes, I think she absolutely, she had a lot of criticism for, you know, deciding to, to stay on the bench. A lot of people thought that she should uh, have retired while uh, President Obama uh, could still appoint her replacement, but you know she said, "I've been doing this work. I can. I'm going to do this work as long as I can still do it full steam, and I'm not going to sit down and you know just let someone else, you know, have their turn just because people think that I'm I'm done with and I'm uh, you know n- not relevant anymore." I think she really thinks that she is more uh, liberal than a, a justice could be in this climate with her record in terms of her ACLU connections. I mean, that was somewhat of a liability on her when she was uh, being confirmed um, in 1993. But even then, she was, you know, confirmed with a vast majority, I think almost unanimous uh, in the end. And she refused to apologize for her ACLU, um, you know, work. And I think that that would be unlikely to happen in this climate. Um, I, you know, speaking of, uh, of women's rights, I mean, I, I couldn't help but like tear up at, uh, you know, at the first maybe 40 pages of, <laughs> of, uh, of reading the book. Um, and, and a lot of it, you know, because it made sense, it, I, uh, connected with the book. It, it was the right kind of language and photos and just the way that it was done. It spoke to me and my age group at 33 years old and you get to mm-hmm. the, women's rights part and you talk about what you mentioned earlier, you know, her will to um, speak openly uh, as far as dissenting, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like it really takes someone who's willing to fight so hard uh, as a woman to have her Mm -hmm. voice heard. And my fear is that, you know, when we, the day comes that RBG is no longer on the bench, it's going to be a very, very sad day across many generations for other women. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I mean, I think that she has been this voice for so long, and and, and not just publicly. You know, I think one of the most important things that we talk about, too, is how much of an influence she has had on, on her fellow justices. I mean, she was appointed to... She actually argued six cases before the Supreme Court as a lawyer, um, and when she was arguing, a Justice Rehnquist, then Associate Justice, was on the court and voted against her in several cases. But then when she got onto the bench, um, you know, she was able to not only befriend him, but also convince him that, you know, times had changed, that women's rights and women's equality was necessary and was not just necessary, but, you know, part of the equal protection doctrine of the Constitution. She convinced him so much so that he actually wrote um, an opinion where a lot of people who, who read it were thinking, were thinking did, did you write this, Justice Ginsburg? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the same thing with a lot of other cases. You know, there was one case dealing with a strip search of a 13-year-old girl where even, you know, liberal Justice Breyer was joking on the bench about, 
um, you know, well, why is this a big deal, you know, you know, and Justice Scalia is focusing on the fact that kids, you know, undress in the locker room. And she says, you know what, you guys, you have no idea what it's like to be a 13-year-old girl and what that means and how that is slightly different than, you know, being a boy, especially right. with a male, um, you know, with a male teacher that was doing a strip search. So I think these aspects, uh, you know, she she was never in a gender, you know, an essentialist. She was never a different feminist in the sense that she never wanted to say that women were inherently different than men in any way. And that's why she took male clients um, for several of her highest, you know, profile Supreme Court cases as a lawyer. But at the same time, she b- believes highly that her experience, that everyone's experience, um, you know, no matter what their identity is, uh, for her, as a Jewish woman who was also a mother when she was applying for jobs, she defended Justice Sotomayor, uh, who made a controversial comment during her confirmation hearings about being a wise Latina justice and how. But you know, she said th- those things, of course, affect how we make our decisions because your experience affects your view on issues and on life, um, and how and that should affect your your view on the law and that's why it's important to have women to have minorities to have people of different identities represented at every level of our government mm-hmm. and uh, you know and everywhere else in our society and that's what's so important diversity is not just you know a tokenism it's about bringing people's experiences to to the decisions that they make oh, i love it shauna we're going to take a quick break right here but when we come back i'd love to continue our discussion about your beautiful book notorious rbg the life and times of ruth bader ginsburg don't go away we'll continue our discussion right after this break When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyce came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Our guest today is probably, I mean, uh, one of the best guests we have on the show, who's uh, co-author of Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and that's Shauna Knizhnik. Shauna, right before the break, you had mentioned other female justices, uh, such as Justice Sotomayor. Um, Well, we should mention that uh, we also have Justice Alina Kagan. 
who my question to you about this is that you know do you think that the female justices who had been appointed to the bench and the the numbers increasing did that make RBG happy? Oh, absolutely. Um, so Justice uh, O'Connor, who was the first woman to serve on the Supreme Court, um, you know, was appointed by President Reagan and was already on the bench when Justice Ginsburg got there. And she was so happy that there was another woman. And I think both of them were really happy, especially, in fact, maybe surprisingly, that they sort of differed on a number of issues. That for, for RBG, it was always about showing that women are not all the same and that just because you know, that they had the same gender doesn't mean that they're going to come to the same conclusion about everything. That being said, Justice O'Connor, even though she was um, sort of a more on the conservative wing, she used to be the sort of swing vote in a lot of cases, and she had a much more progressive um, voice when it came to women's rights issues. Um, but then Justice O'Connor uh, retired and was replaced by Justice Samuel Alito, and uh, certainly Justice Ginsburg was not happy to be the only woman on the bench. I think she felt um, that it was sort of regressing as opposed to moving forward, um, and she felt lonely in that role. Um, but uh, yes, absolutely, when just you know, when President Obama appointed uh, Justices Kagan and Sotomayor, I think now she she likes to say that you know we're all over the bench, and that doesn't just mean you know we you know in different places. It's literally like when you look at the, the justices on the bench, they sit in order of seniority. Mm -hmm. So now Justice Ginsburg is more towards the center because she's been there for a long time, whereas Justice Kagan and Justice Sotomayor are on opposite ends on the sides. So it's sort of this, you know, this vision, this, the optics of it uh, matter, you know, I think is what Justice Ginsburg is trying to say, that when, when young women and, and, you know, women litigants come to the Supreme Court, it's showing people that, you know, women are there to stay. Mm -hmm. um, in the book, you know, you, you go through RBG as a, as a person, too, not, not just mm -hmm. um, a justice. And this is a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer, who lost her husband uh, after many years. Um, and, and I believe in the book, it even mentions that she coped with it by, by going to work. I mean, she this is what mm -hmm. she loves. Um, she, she just can't quit. We mentioned that earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, if you guys had a chance to ask her kind of where we're at in 2016, election year, lots of issues being brought up, lots of progress made in which she's been a part mm -hmm. of. Um, but yeah, what do you think she thinks are the biggest issues we need to focus on? You know, I mean, I don't want to speak to her. Um, I haven't, you know, we haven't spoken to her about the election in general. I think uh, she has mentioned that she's optimistic um, that was, you know, in response to all the pressure that she was receiving to retire before President Obama's term was up. I don't think that anyone thinks that's going to happen, and certainly it's a, kind of a moot point at this point because mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the Republicans' control of Congress. But, you know, I think that she's absolutely, you know, interested in in people focusing on on not just ways to move forward, but also making sure that the country doesn't go in a different direction. I think that for her, the, you know, the Voting Rights Act, I think, was the beginning of the Tumblr and was really just what started, you know, my fascination with her in, in a larger way, but I think is indicative of something bigger for her, which is the fact that, you know, the Voting Rights Act was this uh, grand achievement of the civil rights movement, and it was renewed by Congress after Congress with overwhelming support. And then, in 2013, the Supreme Court decided that the overwhelming support was actually evidence of the fact that it was outdated, and that there was no way that they could vote against it. That's actually something that, you know, Justice Scalia said. And so for her, I think she's most, I mean, obviously she's interested in the expansion of, of, of rights of we the people, but I think that, you know, in terms of sounding the alarm, I think she's really would be focused on us not regressing and taking away people's rights. Uh, towards the end of the book, there is a whole chapter that's devoted to the photos, the memes, the you know artwork that has come out uh, and included you know in the uh, the Tumblr. Um, I wanted to ask. I mean, since you were the one who mm -hmm. launched this, do you have a favorite? 
Oh, there's so many favorites. I can't, you know, the, the roof, the roof baby Ginsburg is probably, you know, that took off probably the most because it had like every single news organization was, had an article about it. So that was pretty awesome, especially when you find out that that baby was actually a baby boy that the parents dressed him up as, as Justice Ginsburg. I thought that was awesome. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite chapters, I mean, the whole book is my favorite. I mean, thank you so much. This is such a gift to me and it's something that I'm always, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it down to, you know, my daughters, if I have daughters or, I mean, I think everybody needs to have a copy of this book really. Um, but the, how to be like RBG, um, Mm -hmm. that was so great. And, uh, you know, did that come from, um, did that come from her specifically or did you guys just kind of come up with that because of all the work that you've done uh, for this book and, and by meeting her? I think we sort of just came up with it. I mean, we wanted to sort of have a little fun. Like you said, the end of the book is a lot of different um, things, you know, different fun appendices about, you know, there's like song lyrics from the opera that was written about her song lyrics um, from the notorious RBG rap music video. Uh, that came out the same time the Tumblr started. Um, so there's lots of different things, but we wanted to sort of have like a little fun, just sort of summation of kind of what we thought RBG's most salient characteristics were in terms of, you know, inspiring the next generation of leaders. Um, and I think that that's, you know, something that we wanted to show. And it's really, you know, it's a delicate, new, her, her persona is very nuanced because she isn't this, you know, that's what obviously makes it so funny is that she isn't this larger-than-life person in real life. You wouldn't necessarily expect her to be, you know, and she, as her, her friends and family would say, she's sort of the least likely person to ever want to be an icon or a celebrity. But that sort right. of quiet fortitude, that um, tenacity that she's exhibited throughout her career, and, 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 you know, just willingness to not only fight for the things that she cares about, but to do so in a way that brings others with her. And I, that's what she likes to say, and that's the advice she gave um, to a graduating class that she spoke to, is that, you know, don't assume, you know, negative intentions on the part of your adversary. If you want to beat your adversary, you should paint their argument in the most positive light and then beat them down with logic, not with anger, not with invective, but by showing, you know, your whoever you're trying to persuade, that you are the one that has the correct argument. And sort of that incrementalist sort of plotting forward is something that I think is, you know, maybe not as um, sexy in our current political climate, but is also something that I think is really important. And I think, at least RBG thinks it's very important for achieving lasting change. Um, my favorite one is, uh, but then enjoy what makes you happy. And um, RBG gets out a lot. <laughs> um, I should, oh my goodness! Yeah. Her social life is is <laughs> absurd. I can't even. We couldn't keep up with her. She's you know in, in the summer when the court is on session, she's traveling in Europe. She's like going to the opera everywhere. She's she went to Southeast Asia this past summer. Um, you know she just she gets around. She she's living life. She's doing it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. My last comment and 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 thought. I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be impossible, in my opinion, to fill RBG's shoes, which probably are Ferragamos. By the way, I found that out in this book. <laughs> um, but, you know, we are looking at possibly electing a female president, and I just wanted to see what your thoughts were, who some of those female leaders might, who they might be, and and your thoughts around that. So you mean in terms of, like, replacing her on the Supreme Court? I, I, I mean, no, 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 in a sense of, like, just a female leadership in general um, and this yeah. idea of, you know, them becoming a phenomenon or a pop icon or you know something of that level i don't know if we we have anyone yet or if we could even yeah I mean, comes I mean i think that that's something that's really interesting about this phenomenon in general um i should say i can't really talk about um my own opinions on the election because i'm currently a law clerk myself and i'm supposed to keep neutral as far as political candidates go yeah but i will say that it is you know something that i think this phenomenon speaks to a lack of 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 female leaders and, and sort of icons um, that have achieved the level of power that, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been able to achieve. Um, I was interviewed for an article last 
or summer of 2014, where where the interviewer asked me if I remember having a you know a woman in power to look up to when I was growing up that sort of had the same sort of cachet in pop culture, and and I really couldn't think of anyone. I I just didn't have anyone in mind, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that that speaks to the fact that we do still have a long way to go, and that it, you know it does matter that you know women's representation does matter. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, and thank you for this this incredible, beautiful book. Thank you to both you and I, Irene. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Grab a copy right now while you can. It's Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Irene Carmen and Shauna Knizhnik. Um, Thank you so much for being here with us today. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. 